When Nephi left Jerusalem, he carried with him two objects, a sword and the word, or the brass plates. Throughout the Book of Mormon, we're constantly given situations where the Nephites are in peril from the Lamanites and others, and they have to decide, am I going to use the sword or am I going to use the word? In Alma 31, Alma thinks it's the word maybe better than the sword. We're not always going to see them do that, but in this case, was the word better than the sword? Was it more effective than the sword? Turns out it was. That begins to be something that we can look at in our own individual lives. Join us today when we have to take a look at being able to stay safe or be able to help people Are we using a sword or are we using the word? Is there a place for either? And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. All right, well, good morning. We got uh, today and we have next week. We have, we're down to two classes. Isn't that amazing? Um, now, I wanted to be able to kind of dive right in uh, today because sometimes we're, we kind of do a... Uh, as a class, you guys are amazing. We get a little bit in, and then we get into a discussion about things, and it's, it's an awesome discussion, and, and, it, and we have the luxury of not doing gospel doctrine, where it's like, well, we've got to be done in 15 minutes, and then we're going to have to move on to another subject next week. So uh, we, are, we are up and running today. So... Um, Yeah, sometimes in the Yucatan it's a dangerous place here. Yeah. Yeah, I like your I like your costume. Yeah, the, uh, wow. yeah, these guys are a little scary up there. So you have time to take a picture before you say the <laughs> You have to you have to record the picture first, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you see some of those pictures online, like people are drowning or something like that. No, no, we're getting a selfie. It's a little scary. Um, okay. So let, let's, let's start with Alma 31 that we've been working on for about three weeks trying to actually get there. Okay, so we've just finished with um, Korahor and, uh, and Alma's just barely taking care of that when he gets word with the process, if you look at the timeline, within a few weeks or just a few months. So this is all kind of happening about the same time. Zoramites are perverting the ways of the Lord. And Zoram, who was their leader, was leading the hearts of the people to bow down to dumb idols. 
Now, we don't have a lot about the idol worship going on, but we're going to get some pretty good clues uh, as to what that might have looked like. Um, and then another thing that I think is interesting here, we look at, he's bowing down to dumb idols. His heart began to sicken because of the iniquity of the people. And this was a cause of great sorrow to Alma to know of the iniquity among his people. Therefore, his heart was exceedingly sorrowful. Now, we've mentioned in here before, <coughs> one of the most powerful uh, sections in all of Scripture, I think, is, is Moses 7. Where, out, where uh, Enoch and, and God are looking at the flood, and it's like his, Noah's, or, uh, Enoch's grandkids and everything, and you're watching all of that, and, is, and, and what, what is Enoch most surprised by in all of that, do you think? That God cries. Yeah, God's weep. How can you be weeping? You know, because I think there's part of him that says, "Well, they're kind of getting what they deserve, or at the very least, it's stopping what they were doing, or something." Okay, and 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 on top of this, like, but you're God. You know, why would you? But he's so shocked to find God weeping. Um, and so, so what's, what's even more amazing about that is that he watches God weep and he says, how can you weep? And then, and then God's going to say, these are my children. These are, they, they hate their own blood. And then after he describes it, then what happens? Oh, well, that works. Nice job, thank you. A little bright from down here, kind yeah. of blinding. No, I think that's perfect because then the light's above here. Great, thank you. Okay, then what happens in the story? Enoch weeps. Enoch weeps, and it says, and, and is, and it says, all eternity shook. Well, isn't that amazing? If you think about it, first God weeps. It, when we when Enoch understands why God's weeping, then he weeps. And I've looked at this, and it's like, is this one of those times when, when you see man get to be godlike? And, and what we're being taught, I think here, what do, you, what do you guys think, is that what happens for us to be godlike in any way? Well, we have, we have to understand God. We have to understand His personality and His, yeah. his heart. And uh, in that case, it creates empathy. And when we empathize with God... Uh, we become more one with God. Well, I think so. Yeah. And when eternity, what did you say? Eternity shook. shook. Was it kind of joyful that another human became no. more godlike? I think, I, Enoch. I think it's Enoch shaking. Enoch it says his soul. And eternity, I think, is, they're referring to the celestial kingdom yeah. and all the. All the individuals that are one with God were weeping as yes. well, and Enoch became aware of that, and that's where Enoch recognized. And then he weeps. So, in other words, to be godlike is to weep like God. Which, again, if you think about it, in the context of where Joseph Smith is 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 coming onto the scene, this is this is eighteen thirty, uh, summer of eighteen thirty. Um, 
And, and the prevailing view at that point among most Christian sects at the time is that people are here and where's God? He's up there. And, and, the, and the Westminster Confession that drove most uh, Methodists but a lot of Presbyterians and stuff said God is without body, parts, or passions. God is, with, God is above emotion. God is separated from that. So for, for Joseph to show up on the scene and, hear it and present us with a God who is weeping is pretty... That's earth-shaking. This is a God who feels what we feel and hurts when we hurt. I think they're, I, I hope, but I think they're using that word passion in a very, very narrowly defined way. Because you look at passions that we have, you know, whether it's gluttony or, yeah. or I mean, even uh, gambling or sex or most, all of these passions are usually sins. Okay. That was and there too. I don't think they're saying God isn't passionate about his people, uh, or they wouldn't buy into God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Well, see, and that's the conundrum. So I think they're not considering love as a passion. Yeah, you would think. And, and I, to a certain extent, I think that's true. But the part, part of the problem is, is that when you see that, and then you read the writings of Calvin and Luther and Jonathan Edwards and stuff like that, to, to be, if God was going to be emotional, that would be too close to humanness. So there was a certain amount of dispassionate distance however much he was feeling because the New Testament is pretty clear Jesus is weeping God loves us all that's true but there was a sense of God can't be in the trenches so much with us because that would make him less godlike okay so this is a big deal so that's why I, I, I think it's interesting that part of being a prophet of God is that you also do what you sorrow like God and part of Alma's struggle is that, and, and, and listen to the words he's using here. Uh, he sees that these people are, are bad. He, you know, he dealt with Ammonihah. He saw, and that maybe that's part of it, he still has PTSD from what happened in Ammonihah, watching pe- good people get burned. Okay? So I think that's there, but also knowing that the Zoramites are doing this and they're bowing down to idols, his response is he begins to sicken. He has great sorrow. He becomes sorrowful. This is affecting him personally. And so, uh, now the, the need, now there's another problem here though. This isn't just the fact that these guys have become sinful. There's a more practical problem on the table. When the Nephites, the Nephites greatly feared that the Zoramites would enter into a correspondence. Oh, they're sending emails. They're sending letters back and forth to the, <laughs> to the Lamanites. It's a correspondence. What did correspondence mean in this case? Partnership. Treaty, partnership. Absolutely. They would enter into a partnership and you'd go, why, why, how would, why would there be a danger of Zoramites being in some kind of partnership in league with the Lamanites. Consolidation of enemies, uh, war. Yeah, and you can see where that would lead, but why would they be ideologically connected to the Lamanites? 
Idols. One of the things they would have in common. Remember when Paul when Paul rolls into uh, um, Athens. Paul rolls into Athens and he's looking around and everywhere he looks is idols, idols. And, and temples. But each but were they all the same idol and all the same temple? No. Every when I go down the view of idol worship, then that means I can put my. Uh, it's like going to the roulette table, I guess, and putting things on every single number and every single. I don't know which one's going to pay off, but when I go idol worship, I just I hedge my bets. I can spread it out, uh, and and at, and that's what Paul was amazed by. Everywhere I look is is idols, and I found another one to the unknown god. There's a, a plaque down by the dock. That he had he had seen, uh, well, yeah. And so I'm gonna, let me tell you about. I don't know if it's exactly this one, but let me tell you about the unknown god you don't know about. This would be good, and you know, and that got the Stoics and the Epicureans interested, right? But when you go idol worship, you actually are open to a lot of various gods and a lot of various idols. Okay, so one of the things that's possible here, one of the, and, and I, we, we don't know for sure because we don't have a lot about the idol worship other than we're watching them do it on the Ramiampton, is that it would be easier for them to accept some of the Lamanites' gods that they worshipped, and you can worship ours, and by, by idol worship we can combine together against these Nephites who have how many gods? One God, okay, and and, be, and so watch how they and they're going to push back against that ironically in another way. You, you have one God, we can worship a number of. Although we have our God, which is the best God, we don't know what that God looked like. But wow, all right. So here's the problem. Then so the the danger is these guys are becoming um, wicked. But there also there's a there's a threat here. There's a threat to the Nephites. Very, very real. Okay, we're not just letting them go off and have their own church, and that's going to bother us. We wish they wouldn't do it. But also, there's a existential threat that they could combine. Uh, and by the way, was that did that happen? Yeah, it does. Now, then we get then we get this phrase. As the preaching of the word had a a great tendency to lead the people to do that which was just, yea, it had a more powerful effect upon the minds than the sword or anything else which had happened unto them. Therefore Alma thought it was expedient that they should try the virtue of the word of God. Now, there seems to be a choice being made here. If you've got a threat, what were his options? Fight or talk. Fight or talk. Yeah, right? Um, so, so let me back up. We started to talk about this uh, at the end of class last time. If you think about uh, outside the Leahona that Nephi will leave Jerusalem with so they can get, they will get directed in the, and they get that in the wilderness. Um, what objects did Nephi come out of Jerusalem with that would help in the wilderness and in 
First of all, he had the okay. So first of all, he had the sword, and then he had the brass plate. So he's got the word. So isn't it interesting that we watch Nephi coming out and he's got the sword and he's got the word. The question is, when do you use the sword and when do you use the word? And one of the things that we're going to find over and over and over, especially as we roll into this next uh, few chapters and then in the Book of Mormon, um, is do you use the sword or do you use the word? When you've got a problem, which one do you use? Now, obviously when, when uh, Alma's trying to decide here, he's going, well, let's see. The preaching of the word in his experience had a great tendency to lead the people to do that which was just. And then he goes, and this has got to be coming from Alma's writings because Mormon, this is Mormon's words. Yeah, it had a more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword. Now, would Mormon have some experience with that? Oh man, yeah. So, uh, first off, the swords have more of an effect on your hydraulic pressure than your mind. <laughs> you, you lose blood and you die. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, the, you put holes where there aren't supposed to be holes the in the human body. Effective. The sword is equally effective on everyone. The preaching of the word mm. has a great effect on some people, and it has no effect or a negative effect on others. Ah, perfect. I, I like that a lot. And not only that, the if if you look at you're going to put the armor of God on the shield. Or armor is a defensive weapon. What's a sword? Offensive. Even if you're in self-defense, you're still wielding the sword to create holes in other people. Right? Uh, It's an offensive weapon. You use it to attack. So, in a sense, uh, what what he's he's saying, we're going to make a choice here whether we're going. We could use the sword. We could use the word. In this case, they're going to try and use the word. Now, I got I got thinking about this though. That we have in, in so many cases, whether we're under threat from people or we're trying to persuade people, don't we have the same options? We can use an offensive weapon, or we can use the word. And, and, and we're given in the Book of Mormon do we get cases where they ride out to use the sword Captain Moroni or do they ride out to use the word in, like in this case Alma or Nephi and Lehi we get cases where or Samuel the Lamanite we get the Book of Mormon is filled with sword or word sword or word sword or word which one are we going to use sometimes there's a third option and that's just love yeah, which would should be coming from words, shouldn't it? Well, no, it can be example. I mean, you, you can't preach to somebody. Sometimes there are people you can't preach to, but you can still love. Okay, you're you're okay. Hold, hold on to that for about ten minutes. We're going there. Or scatter, leave like Nephi had to leave, but that was sword related. Yeah, another in, my, in some cases you're going to say, if I don't want to use the sword, anti-Nephi-Lehi's, mm-hmm. I got to go. Leave. I got to take my family and leave. Mm-hmm. Right? I've got to. I got to head out because I refuse to use the sword. 
and I could use the sword, and I might even be effective. But what, what we're going to find in the Book of Mormon, especially as we get into the war chapters, is using the sword begets using the sword begets using the sword. Once you start using the sword back and forth, uh, if neighbors are arguing among themselves, and instead of trying to use love or trying to use the word, we're going to use the sword, they're going to do something to my yard, so I'm going to do something to their yard. We never get to that point and go, okay, we're now we're even. <laughs> It just escalates. They just once you start pulling out the sword, you know, you live by the gun, you die by the gun. You, those kind of things. Okay, but I realized as I was looking at this um, the other day, and I thought, are there times that we use the word as a sword? Yes. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. How might we do that? Because when I it's like one of those moments, I just kind of stopped in my track and wait a minute. Sometimes we take the word of God, which primarily should be love, or it's going to be doctrinal, or it's going to be those things that remind us of the mercy of God or something like that. When when in the history of forever has the word been used as a sword? Thinking that the sword is an offensive. I thought of that. Uh, in fact, although I think in some ways I was thinking about the Crusades more the sword being used as the word. You know, we're, we have the sword so we're right. <laughs> so, and I'll talk about that one in a second because I think sometimes the sword is used as the word. They use the, in the Crusades, they use the word uh, out of context, misguidedly, to incite people to use the sword. Yeah, yeah, and they would have the, they had the cross on their shield. Okay, the 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 cross is going to come and attack you, and 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 kill so many that the, there's going to be blood running in the streets. Yeah. When we judge others unrighteously, instead of loving them, because of the example. See, that's what I thought. I thought when we use when we use the word to judge others, aren't we using it to attack them using the word? I don't need a sword. I've got the word. I'm slicing you with the Bible. <laughs> I'm attacking you with the words of the prophets. I am inflicting pain and judgment and guilt and shame as I'm beating you, especially those that aren't prepared. I'm going to beat you with this thing. You will believe and go to church. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> That sounds like somebody that's five years old. Which one's five? The one being beaten or the one? (laughs) What was that, Jim? The person that does that is the one who ends up wounded a lot of the times. In in what way? In many cases, when when you're being judgmental, you don't even share that with the person you're aiming it at. You share it with, you just hold it in, or you share yeah. it with everybody around them. Is that true? And, and discredit them. Yeah, yeah. Once you, that's why I say, once you start using the sword, when, when you've gone for the sword instead of the word, not only are you going to be attacking everybody else, primarily we know about those that are like critical and judgmental of others. Who are they most judgmental against? Themselves. Themselves. Okay. Um, I realized. Yeah. Could you go back to the screen that has about him being sickened? Yeah. In fact, I was going to go back there anyway. Yeah. 
Uh, I also like the dumb idols. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have a different definition of dumb idols. Yeah. Dumb. <laughs> the dumb idols, yeah. Because of the iniquity, and then he had great sorrow. And I think it's because the people, he's seeing the people live in the moment. And he has the vision of what they're, what this is all leading what, what is, to. Where it's going. And I think many of us who experience that thing when we watch a loved one or whatever, yeah. it's a natural response. Yeah. To just physically be sick. Yeah. To be, to be so distraught. And I personally wish that I had had some counsel that you're not alone in this. You're not the only one mm. experiencing this. Because everybody else is putting, or people are trying to tell you things you should do, and none of them work. Yes. Why? None of them. Especially. Well, even you know, because what they well told you is that this may be a lifetime. Yeah. Experience. Well. And, and it's okay. You're not alone. You're not the only one. Right. Who will ever go through this? Who has gone through? But that would be using the word as a word. <laughs> When you're, when you're in pain like that, one of those tendencies, though, isn't it to use the word, sometimes for the best of intentions, to use the word as a sword? You don't know, have any other tools at that point. You don't, sometimes you just don't know anybody. You think that if you just tried a little harder... I know. But, but if I'm going to use the word as a sword, and you're struggling, and you're feeling alone, and I come rolling in and I go, if you will just pray more... <laughs> If you will just read more scriptures, if you will repent, if you will fast longer, if you will get your kids to just repent and pray more and fast more, it'll be better. Are you praying? Let's check your own spirituality. In other words, I'm going to say, the, the real problem with your kids is that you're not spiritual enough. You're not worthy enough. And I'm going to use the scriptures in our conference talk like a sword to hurt you with it. And pile on pain where you're already there. Unfortunately, that's sometimes that's the only advice you get. I remember. Yes, it is the only. To the bishop's office when my family was falling apart. Yeah. And I was the only one at church. Yeah. And I was brought into the bishop's office with the bishop and the counselor. I'm sure they meant well. Just told me I needed to be more positive. Yeah. Right. And and read this conference talk. I'm the only one. It wasn't my bishop's office. No, it was not. No, it was not my bishop's office. I would not have told that to you. No, I knew that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with your kids, yeah. Yeah, so I always think about the scripture where it talks about how Lehi was a horrible parent, and that's why Laman and Lemuel bad, and how Adam and Eve were horrible parents. And that's why Cain turned out bad. <laughs> yeah. And how uh, Isaac was a horrible parent. And that's why Esau turned out bad. And so that's the way I know that I was a horrible parent. And, and, and we're going to, like I say, we're going to use those scriptures to make you feel worse. I can't find the scriptures at all. Yeah, you try try and find those things. You know what? There's one other, guys, that, that really drives me a bit crazy about this one. Because uh, I realized I was thinking about it. I've seen this one kind of in spades where the word, this verse, was used as a sword. We had, we had some cases in our, in our history uh, of really well-intentioned church leaders who would say to somebody that was clinically depressed 
or really struggling or a missionary trying to stay on their mission and they would take this literally and say well let's see the preaching of the word has a more powerful effect on the mind you don't need counseling you just need repentance you don't need you don't need an antidepressant you just need the spirit you, you know in other words if this was taken literally and saying based on this I'm going to affect your mind now what if someone isn't ready to hear this <laughs> or what maybe they really do have a clinical condition but I'm using it as a sword now as I'm wielding this sword why are you depressed you haven't repented. You haven't. You're not spiritual. You're not reading. Yeah. So that was like back in the early '90s when people were from the '80s part. Oh yes. And oh yes. You were supposed to try and do that, and you needed, as I call them, happy pills. And I was one of the very first sisters in my ward to take them because my body went boom. <laughs> I couldn't do this anymore. I was ha- but by the way, had you tried the, the power oh, of the word? I, it's I, studied I, enough. Anything I could think of until I was having anxiety ending up in the emergency room because I would just be flat out, yeah. whacked out. And so when I started on an antidepressant type thing, as I call them my happy pills, I actually got up and released really and told them, hey, I'm one of these people. And I feel better. I can cope <gasps> with life. Yeah. And it was, and people stared at me funny. <laughs> to start with, like, I would admit that I had a problem. Really? You're, but, going, you're going there? Yeah. But yeah, it helped other sisters afterwards later said, Wow, I'm going to get some help now. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Because I was enough, I, I got tired of being either in the emergency room or on the floor or hiding in my car because I couldn't cope. Yeah, and, and again. I tried all the stuff they told us we were supposed to do. But by the way, I'm just curious. When you're in that state, does conference help? No. <laughs> This is the word. You're getting more of the word. Shouldn't shouldn't house. I was more meeting where I couldn't even leave. I, I mean, sacrament meeting. I would be sitting there, and I'd have to go out and sit in the other room. Yeah. Couldn't be with all the people. Sure, sure. So. Why wouldn't conference help? <laughs> more things. You're terrible. At. More. <laughs> more pile on. More pile on. <laughs> my siblings were young people my age. We there's, yes. there's ten of us. We have a group chat. Wow. And they'll talk about a lot of things, uh, especially like sauerkraut, how's the best way to make sauerkraut. All the important items of life, yeah. (laughs) Feelings, Mm. taboo. Yeah. And I don't know why it is, but if you go to church, I'm I'm, I'll applaud you for doing that, but you go to release that your priest and say, what you know? Uh, you have a good doctor you could recommend because I'm feeling depressed. Yeah. Well, can I can I send you a can, can I send you a talk? Yes. <laughs> I've I've got a really good talk. I've got a I've got a good book written by you know elder so and so and stuff like that. Again, it's just like trying to use the word, and the result of that at the end of that is going. Not only do I feel depressed, but I also feel unworthy. Un top of that. Yeah, yeah. The new the new ish talk by Elder Holland on depression is helpful. And that was a good step in that the right direction. Helpful. Broken things to mend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I just wish he hadn't used broken, but anyway that's me. Um, many, many years ago yeah. in the beginning of all my drama, 
I was at the Dallas Opera with a member of the board, mm -hmm. good friend, mm -hmm. lady, sister friend. Right. And I was, before it started, I was bemoaning my state. And, she, you know, about I'm not a good mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Says, what you're saying is that you don't matter. Mm. And I thought of that. I'm, what I was saying to the Lord was I wasn't grateful. I, I, you know, all the things that I am, I yeah. wasn't grateful. And it took a while, but it was a turning point. I started taking care of me. Yeah. Because I couldn't help them ever. Unless, unless you were in a, a, a better place. A while, but it was a turning point for me. Yeah. Think of it in those terms. Yeah, because then it's not a repentance thing or a worthiness thing. It's a very practical, I need to take care of me. Uh, arise and eat. You know, the journey's too great. Yeah. Uh, this last week, the schools sent uh, notes home with the kids saying, this time of stress. So have your kids, tell your kids to be sure and be calm and pleasant so that we don't stress our teachers. <laughs> and we, they got a big laugh about Oh, I'll bet they did. Um, all right, so is there times? So, again. Okay. Is there times if if you if we're if one of the ways we're going to know that we're using the word as a sword is when we end up judging others and, and assuming that they're doing things and we're just going to make them feel bad by using the scriptures. Is there a time we go the other direction where we use the sword as the word? As justification for what we do, and that, and our strength, or our sword, or our wealth, or our genealogy, or our something, becomes the word. Yeah, it was like the time I told you before that my sister would invite all the LGBTQ kids down mm -hmm. in Provo. And people call them, you know, devil spawn and such. Mm -hmm. I think that they were judging them rather than mm -hmm. these people. And the reason they did that is because people would do all sorts of things to them down. Right. And, 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 and quote scriptures. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, right. And, right. You know, and the people just need to be loved and accepted for who they are. That doesn't mean that you agree with their lifestyle, but it means that you love them as a person. You see them as people. And certainly the scriptures are full of that, where the Savior takes people right where they are. And goes right, but, but you see that in cases, really, not just with my sister, but all over the place. You know, gay bars being attacked and, mm -hmm. and such as this, mm -hmm. in the name of Christ. Yeah, and, and again, quoting scriptures along the way. Which well, they, they're doing that under the law of Moses, not in the name of Christ. <laughs> They yeah, think they're Christians, but but then they're reverting to the law of performances and yeah, and well, and it's as fruit. And if I'm keeping the stuff the way that I think it should be, I mean, in a sense, guys, we've been on the receiving end of that, isn't it? That that the Mormon Church is a cult, and not Christian. Why? Because our our word becomes our sword. To say you're not a Christian like I'm a Christian, you don't believe like I believe, 
Therefore, I'm going to attack you because that is the word of God. We're supposed to be doing this. Um, and that's why I think it's, it's interesting that we conflate uh, when to use the, the word and the sword. So, so now, isn't it interesting then when we get to... Let's go back to Alma 31... I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I think generally in gospel doctrine we tend to do this. What is it that he's seeing on the ground? So you go in, they're going to go into their they're going to go into their temple. And what they're going to see and 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 Mormon is really good to make sure that we know exactly what they're believing. Mormon is actually really good. We always get great details about what Sherem thought and what Korahor thought and what the Ammonites were believing and you know all along the way we get all of these different viewpoints and we're actually getting this with the Zoramites keep in mind these are idol worshippers so part of what we begin to know about them is that they're going to come in they worship about once a week they're going to come stand on top of the Ramianton but now you get an idea of what their belief is. This is their word. And they're using this word as a sword to attack the, the uh, poorer part of their society. Fifteen. Uh, they're they're going to stand up there. We believe that thou art God. Now, we believe that thou hast we don't believe in the tradition of our brethren, meaning what? Law of Moses. Their, their beliefs coming from Nephi and everything down. And we believe that thou hast elected us to be thy holy children. Thou hast made it known unto us. There shall be no Christ. Uh, we know that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there's no... Again, there's going to be no Christ on that. We thank thee that thou hast elected us. We're not going to be bound down by foolish... Um, traditions which bind them to a belief in Christ which doth lead their hearts to wander far from thee, O God. Now, what God are they worshipping? This is the God of the Old Testament. We're told this is idol worship. They made it up. They made it up, probably. I don't think it's like saying we're going to twist the worship of Jehovah and make it so that Jehovah has elected us they're casting all of that out I think you get a sense we don't know who this God is but they're going to be pretty clear um, do they have any reference to any kind of a tangible related or are they just standing on the scrumiumptum uh, speaking to the sky yeah hard to know isn't it because that's part of what the scholars that I'm reading are saying. It's interesting. We know it's idol worship. We know they're standing on top of the holy stand. That's what Ramiampton means. But we don't know what they're looking at. And then maybe they're just looking at the sky. It might be that they're looking at a tree. It might. We don't know what that idol is. And it's, it's always made this kind of a, a fascinating uh, thing. But we know that... Look at 23... 
When they get done, they offer up their thanks after this manner. They return to their homes, never speaking of their God. So even Mormon is, I think, trying to tell us this is their God, not our God. They're not trying to twist our God to their own belief. Like, you sort of get a sense maybe that Korahor did this or Nahor was doing this. In this case, this is their God. This is a different God. Now, could this be one of the gods like of the Mayan people if they were in the Yucatan? Or I don't know. We just, we just don't know. But apparently it's idol worship. And it's close enough to the Lamanites that they would feel kindred enough that they might get into league with. So they might be borrowing some idols. Um, I know, for instance, when we walk around uh, Corinth or Ephesus or something like that, you'll get like, okay, here's the temple of Zeus, but over here is the temple of Caesar, and over here is the temple of Aphrodite. You know, it's like, we're just going to combine these. And I think the Zoramites have done that. Does that make sense? Okay. So they're lifted up and they're boasting and all that. Okay. So then they're going to put together kind of the super team here. Uh, Ammon, Aaron, Omni, Amulek, Zeezrom, two sons. Well, you know, we're putting together the, the uh, Avengers. Here we come, right? Here we go. Okay. Break that and away they go. Now, so Alma 32. So, obviously, he's not doing like Paul and walking into the first synagogue. There's no way they're going to let him into the the temple where they're doing the preaching. They were allowed to see it. They just can't preach there. Okay? So, they come to him in 5, verse 5, these people that couldn't get in. What shall these my brethren do? So, apparently, they've got a a spokesperson who's going to speak for them. What shall these my brethren do? They are despised of all men because of their poverty. So apparently, part of what happens here, part of part of what elects you in Zoramite society is what? Wealth. wealth. And, and how are you going to have proof of that wealth? By what you wear. Okay? And, and there's a whole side issue about clothing in the Book of Mormon that we could take some time and say, how clothing identified... Um, but that's actually not that far down range if you're in that first century time of Jesus in Israel how would somebody know that you were a tailor for instance that you did clothes you don't have you don't have a, a social media presence you don't have a web page you don't have billboards how is people going to know that you're a tailor by what? The coat you wear. By the coat you wear. And what was that going to look like? It's going to be nice. You build, you Might. Well, your last name, if they had surnames. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. And, and they would do some of that. But the other thing they would do is they would wear some of the implements on their clothes. So if I'm carrying, you know, like I'm a doctor, what am I wearing? My stethoscope. <laughs> Universal signal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they do. Okay. Well, they wearing the scalpels around their neck. <laughs> That, that didn't go well. <laughs> Knife maker. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> um, but yeah, there'd be some scissors, or if, if you are a 
a bit of a blacksmith or something, you might wear wear some tongs. If you're a woodworker, you might carry a backpack. Uh, in other words, you just you would ha- you would advertise a little bit by what you wore. Yeah. I got my hair cut one time by a hairdresser who had scissors tattooed. You might have scissor tattoos. Yes. <laughs> I used to wear scissor earrings because I was a hairdresser. Okay, you're looking for ways to let people know. I'm not sure what I would wear. I guess we'll, we'll just have to figure. <laughs> I'm, I'm a shrink. Talk to me. A shrunken head. Oh man! You did have the screaming man socks. I got I got monsters today. Yeah, I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> okay. So their clothes would, would set them apart. Men are despised because of their poverty, especially our priests. They've cast us out. Uh, there's no place for us to worship. And what shall we do? What shall we do? Uh, now, this jumped out at me. Uh, even, just even this morning, I thought this was interesting. Because what, what's coming in the rest of Alma 32? Where, where, where are we about to go? The parable of the seed, right? Look at how he st- sets this up beautifully okay now when uh, what an odd turn of a phrase though when Alma heard heard this he turned him around his face immediately towards him I'm not sure how you I I think that's the guy talking to him but he's going to I figured his face would be immediately in in front of him but anyway Uh, and he beheld with great joy for he beheld that their afflictions had humbled them and they were what in preparation for then got it yet they were in preparation for the word now one of the things that I think we missed if we go all the way down here to 28 in the parable of the seed now let's compare the word unto a seed if you give place that a seed may be planted in your heart if you give place that how was a seed planted? Okay, Think, be more literal. How how do you plant a seed? You have to prepare the ground. You have to prepare the ground a little bit. Okay, by doing what? Well, you're gonna air you know, water it. Okay. There was place to put the seed in. Yeah. Okay. You're gonna open that stuff up. And how you? Let me ask you this. Could you use a sword <laughs> to prepare the seed? Okay. But what does Isaiah tell us ultimately in the long run? What's going to happen to swords? You're going to take that same implement and do, and it's going to be made into a plowshare so that you can plant seeds. You can plant on ground with a sword if you want to I suppose will it be effective the the, the, the ground may be a little resentful <laughs> it's possible right um, but somehow it's going to have to be planted in your heart now 
if we if we roll back here, I'm going to go back up now to. Okay, we're back up to six, and they were in preparation to hear the word. Did Savior pick up on this one? Do we have something about planting seeds? Meaning the parable of the sower. Well, the Savior, although he made his teaching available to the scribes and the Pharisees, yeah, he was out there. He didn't generally go to the scribes and Pharisees to preach or force his stuff on them. He basically took his message to the humble and he, the poor. He did, and 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 they were they were prepared. Now, but in the parable of the sower, I'm going to take these seeds and and sowing back then. Sow means right. I'm 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 casting it out here a bit, and he's going to say sometimes the seed falls where stony ground on stony ground. Okay. Now, if you uh, a stony a stony path in Israel. Be, uh, because you know, unless it's a Roman road, <laughs> most of the time the path isn't going to be like cemented, or it's not going to be an asphalt road. It's just going to be a path. And if the path is going, if the path is going over stony ground, there is going to be a certain amount of dirt. How much dirt does a plant need to to start? Not much. Not much. I mean, I've got a hydroponic thing on my dresser growing uh, little tomatoes and little peppers. And it's got about that much dirt. And a whole lot of water. Okay? And and they grow pretty well. You only need just a little bit of dirt. So even a little bit of dirt going over the stony, rocky thing will at least start the process. Until what? Until it can't take root. It can't root because of the, the, the rocky underneath. Okay? So sometimes in this stony thing, the, the, the seed may be planted, but you don't know what's really underneath until it runs into the rocky soil underneath. It's not really that the roots don't go very far, it's that the roots don't get to nourishment. Yeah, yes. The nourishment is there, but if you're not providing the nourishment, it's not, it, it, run, it gets a little bit out of the soil. Somebody that maybe is is kind of a rocky soiled person may show up at church and this feels good, but they don't last very long because they can't reach down, they can't get more nourishment. Yeah. They when they built my house in West Richland, they piled the stones in this place and that place, and then when they finished. They just leveled them and put grass. Right over the top of it. Right. Sure. And when I went to do something about it, but there was a dry spot and a dry spot and a dry spot and a dry spot. Yeah, yeah, what's going on, right? Where they had put their piles of stones. By this, by the dry spots, isn't that great? And and some people have got just a little bit of faith, but but they've got some stony spots that need ultimately to be softened. And some and sometimes you don't know immediately whether that's gonna whether they're gonna be the, the stony people or not. 
He just says, the Savior says, I'm sowing it, and we're only going to know. And by the way, when do you know, according to the, the, the parable of the sower, when do you know whether this was planted over stony ground or not? When it takes root, then. And then, and then what? And then the sun comes up. Yeah, he goes, and when the heat of the sun comes up, it wilts. Man, do I think that's true. We are all good as long as it's kind of moist and warm and stuff like that. But man, when it gets hot and the heat's on, you're going to find out who has rocky soil underneath. Um, And sometimes we don't even know. Uh, I've talked to a number of people that said, for instance, I didn't think I would ever doubt the church. And then out comes the, the, the uh, persecution or the questions or stuff like that. And they're surprised that, that, their, that their roots weren't running very deep. And they have to be, go back and start to nourish this thing. And maybe they haven't nourished for a long time. I'm in the church. I'm good. I don't need to really take care of my testimony. I just kind of neglect it. It'll be fine. Which, on a, which during the spring, is it hard to grow things in Texas in the spring when it's raining a lot? Oh, heck no. When do we find out that things were well planted and well prepared? July. In July. <laughs> yeah. When, when everything's big and you have to exercise much more care and nourishing and take care of. Okay. Right now you just can't know, you almost can't make a mistake. What you grow, what you plant will grow. If you put it in a decent topsoil. Yes. And you'll also get the weeds along with it. Which, by the way, isn't it interesting that the Savior's parable then goes there. He talks about the sower, and then the next one is talking about, I sowed and then the tares grew up and choked it. Because a lot of other things grow in those kind of environments as well. The tares is wheat? It looks like wheat. It It grows up alongside, and you don't really know. Okay? Which another one? That's another one of those scriptures. Side note, that has been used as a as the word as a sword. People will say, uh, in the church, you don't know who the tares are and who the <laughs> who the wheat is. Be, suspi- be suspicious of those people because you don't know if you're sitting in sacrament meeting next to a tear. You didn't know it. Tares is a darnell ryegrass, I think. But the reality is, every single one of us, when we're born, we're tares. Oh, totally. And God helps us become tares. Yes, yeah. But when we're talking about adults, and we become suspicious... Anyway. (laughs) Whole other topic. All right. So, I just think it's interesting that he says, uh, your, your humility has humbled you, you are now in preparation. Something has come along and, and sometimes the term we use is broken heart and contrite spirit. Couldn't we also extend that to like broken ground? Do you ever have the feeling in your life that sometimes you're being rototilled? <laughs> you know, it, whether it was rocks or whether it was just hard ground or something like that, the things that are happening in your life, you're being rototilled. Everything has been turned upside down. You might have had a halfway decent garden. It wasn't going very far, but it was there, and then something comes along and rototills the whole thing, and you got to replant. Squirrels. Sometimes it's squirrels. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, okay. 
so, so think about the times that might soften you in preparation so that the, but, so that the, the word can be lovingly planted. Now, let's remind ourselves... If you're lowly of heart, uh, we can't worship. Um, And again, in 13, interesting phrase here. Alma's going to say to these guys, Because you were compelled to be humble, blessed are ye, for sometimes when a man's compelled to be humble, he seeks repentance. And I see repentance as change. I need to change what I'm doing. Something isn't working. Okay? And surely whosoever repenteth shall find what? Mercy. And over and over and over and over, you're finding in Alma 32 and Alma 33 that when he talks about planting the word, that this seed that is planted is so often wrapped in mercy. Mercy over and over and over. If you repent, you're going to find mercy. Um, Now, I, I think that's important um, because if we, if we don't get the idea that we're going to find mercy and I'm going to talk about the law or I'm going to talk about keeping the commandments if we're not depending on where we are and you're going to start talking about the commandments, is that going to be seen as a blessing to you or an accusation? Depending on where you are. Yeah. And if I'm simply going to see every time, so the purpose of the commandments is to accuse me of where I am, or what I'm not doing, or I'm not doing enough, or where I'm short, that's where general conference is, I'm going to sit and listen to general conference and figure out all the places where I'm not doing things. Then it, it ends up not being a blessing. But if we see the law and the commandments as an opportunity to receive mercy, then the commandments are no longer a sword. The commandments are a seed that gets planted in us that teaches us about love and mercy and acceptance, and that God's going to change us. But man, when, when we're really struggling, we're working in rocky ground, bringing up the commandments is just another reminder of what I don't do. And for some of you sisters, yesterday was one of those times. <laughs> Let's have a great talk on Mother's Day, which men are all like, yes, we love this and everything. And the sisters are going, this great talk on this mother and this sainted mother is just a reminder of what? Of my shortcomings. shortcomings. It was meant to be, we're going to give you the word of love and what you're hearing is a sword reminding you of your shortcomings. Yeah. Yesterday was the best Mother's Day I ever had been to in church. We sang songs the entire time. Really? Really. The entire thing, you just made it Sacred Sunday. We do that. for. They contacted people ahead of time, like the youth, and said, tell us your favorite song. And then the youth got up and there was no mention of mothers whatsoever. It was wonderful. Sounds wonderful. 
You, you sure this wasn't because they had asked three people and they had get tr- turned down by everybody? It's like, no, I'm not speaking on Mother's Day. They had like 15 people get up and everywhere from kind of like the oldest woman in the ward to the... So you just stand up and say, I want to sing this, and then they would... Well, they would we have right done ahead. that too. <coughs> but this time they were contacted by someone in the fish brick and said, think about... What's your favorite song? This week, come up and tell why... And then the congregation sang their favorite song. Oh, the congregation sang. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's kind of cool. I, I, may, I may suggest that. In the... But tell them what the relief study did. Well, the relief study had a banquet, and we just visited. Them. So you sang in sacrament meeting, then you had a banquet in relief society. <laughs> we had brunch. They did brunch for us. Yeah, yeah. We get candy bars. <laughs> oh, 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 oh the, the, there was lasagna, too. Oh, so. It was more of a uh, sweets buffet. Yes. Oh, is it like a dessert bar? Yes. A dessert bar, yeah. And there's not a lot of mothers in your single floor, <laughs> There's not what? A lot of mothers in your single floor? No. <laughs> Three. <laughs> Three. Anyway, it was the best I, I love it. Okay. Okay. See, uh, when I look at, if, we, if we're looking at the law as an accusation, then, then we're uncomfortable. If we, look at, if we look at the law and commandments as a way to learn how to love, God's giving us ways to learn how to become like Him and love like they do, then I think that's better. So, it's interesting that in planting the seed, we keep talking about you're going to find mercy. And he that findeth mercy and endure to the end is going to be saved. All right, we tend to move. You know, when we get when we feel mercy and we feel loved, we are more likely to move forward. What happens if you're being hit by the sword? <laughs> you tend to push back. You tend to rebel. And and what we're getting is the word, not the sword, is what is what he's saying. Because he could have been calling these guys to rep- heavy repentance. Well, how come you're not? And are you, you know, where'd you get that dumb idea about you can only worship in that? I mean, he could have used the sword, but he figured out a long time ago the sword's not going to work. It's going to be the word. So, with the sword, you can endure to the end in half a minute. Because <laughs> the end ends quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay. So, uh, okay, in the time we got remaining, this is. Um, I'm going to hop over here. So let, let's go over to let's go over to 33. <laughs> this gives you another inkling as to what's going on with the idol worship. We get it more by um, just circumstantial evidence. Verse one: Alma had spoken these words to them about the parable of the seed, and it's going to grow up. And uh, actually, the parable of the seed basically says faith is stronger than knowledge. You'll have some knowledge on some things, but faith drives you forward to having a tree of life. So faith is actually what you're after. Um, Has spoken these words, they desire to know whether they should do what? Believe in one God. Wait a minute, we heard that there were like many gods. Should we believe in one God like you're telling us? uh, That they might obtain this fruit? Or how they should plant the seed? (laughs) <laughs> and I just think that's amazing because I think this is the same brothers and sisters I think this is the same misconception that we have so often 
or how they should plant the seed. Okay, I'm going to hop back to 32, just in case we're missing this. Look at that first line. How does the how is the seed planted? Let, let somebody else play. <laughs> how does the seed how is the seed planted? Desire in your heart. Yeah, and that's where. By listening to it. Okay. And Listen. To yeah, but how does it end up in your heart? Did you did you put it there? Did you, huh? You prepare. Your job is to prepare it, and then how does the seed end up there? Does what? And does what? Starts to grow. Yeah, but how did the seed end up in that in that heart? Did you do it? Did 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 you do it? God did it. Does it say by faith that, that big word faith that is yeah. what we all are taught to right. have? And, 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 isn't that, and, and if we have faith and we're prepared and we're sufficiently humble, all of that is the preparation of the ground. But again, look at what he's saying. Uh, now, if you give place, that's your job. And a seed may be planted in your heart. Did you plant it or was it planted? It was planted. planted. You didn't do it. You don't plant the seed. You don't plant the seed. Your job is to prepare the soil and the ground so you don't. And now you can do one other thing. You can if you don't cast it out. So prepare the place and don't cast it out. But the seed is planted in you. You don't plant the seed. That's really kind of important here. Uh, you don't plant the seed. The seed is planted by the Spirit. By Our faith prepares the soil. Our humbleness prepares us. There's a lot of things we do and we don't cast it out. That's our job. But it's the Spirit's job to do what? Plant the seed. And we just have to accept it and not, not get rid of it. Okay, Cindy? I think that there are places where our heart can be referred to as a stony heart. Yeah. And so in preparation for letting the seed be planted, you have to uh, put those stones down. And that's part of that clearing away things and misconceptions and ideas. Yeah, and we do that. We, I mean, this is an active process. We're not just sitting here on the couch waiting for the seed to be planted. We have things we got to do. But ultimately, we prepare and then the seed is planted by the spirit. The seed is planted by somebody else. And he's going to say, but before, remember, he's going to say, the seed actually oft times gets prepared for. Look at 23. And now he imparteth his word by angels unto men. So sometimes it's angels that are doing the planting. Are they using swords? No. Okay, so again, if we go back over to 33, that's still. Uh, okay. They still think they plant the seed. And, and, part, and part of what he's going to do then, he's going to go, okay, oh, take a step back. 
Let me teach you how to worship. And then he's going to go to Zenus. Um, and then he's going to, in four, he, so he's praying, which is that preparation. When I was in the wilderness, thou was merciful. Thou did, did turn them unto me. Sometimes enemies are turned. Sometimes, he says, if there's going to be a sword, then it's the, it's the Lord that's going to wield the sword. However, he will do it. Okay? Sometimes, in this case, he visits them, some of my, my enemies, with anger, speedy destruction. Sometimes, in verse 4, they, they turn to me. I don't always know how my, how my enemies will respond. Anti-Nephi-Lehi's learned that following the word and, and burying the swords, what happened? Well, at first, there came a gr- tremendous amount of sacrifice. And a lot of them died. And then greater, then greater conversion happens later. Okay? All right. Oh, all right. That's a lot. Questions? Yeah. I find you have to expect the miracle. And uh, I was involved with drama for years and years. Uh-huh. And we were we had a road show that was to be presented to a huge uh, special for you whatever that is. And the day the Lee Gell in my road show showed up and she said, I laryngitis. <laughs> and I said, Dana, you carry the road show and we've been called to do this by servants of the Lord. So go over in the corner and pray <laughs> until you can talk. And so in ten minutes she came back and she said, I can talk now. And on we went. But like I said, cool. you have to expect the miracle. That's called hope. But isn't that expecting and having hope, isn't that also part of preparing ourselves? And faith. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let, let me ask before we, we finish here. When do you use the word? When do you use the sword? When moved on by the Spirit. When moved on by the Spirit. Yeah. And I'm willing to bet the very few times you're going to be asked to use the sword. But it's man, when you want to use the sword, even on something as simple as social media, you know, on, on social media, if I see somebody attacking the church or something like that, I can be so slice and dice. I, I can be pretty catty online. <laughs> After you go, no, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it a different way. That's not what President Nelson just said in his conference. Yeah, right. I, well, I do that. I, oh, this, but this would be such a good. So I'll usually just tell Cindy. You know, you know what I wanted to say? I wanted to say, okay. You need to get into your chat groups and Yeah, 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 yeah. They're there. They're there, man. There are a couple of websites where I just like I, I want to. I want to. It's like oppositional research. I'm trying to see where what people are thinking, and I just like, oh man, do I want to? Um, 
I, I was going to tell you. I, I, be careful. <laughs> if we avoid contention, it means not... Contention is a sword. Contention slices and dices, and it invites more contention coming back. So our, our goal this week is to use the word. It just doesn't work. Oh, no. No, because it's on stony ground. Even the best comments are still going to not go anywhere because they're going to go, yeah, but... So you're, you're, you've got a sharper tongue at the moment, and you're more clever at the moment. Yeah. You know, it doesn't... doesn't no, and if the idea was to change their mind, it's not changing their mind. Mm-hmm. didn't work. So, yeah. We, we just have to remember that our responsibility is to provide the environment that is best that we can provide to 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 enhance the environment that we're in. Boy, I think it's true. Our responsibility is not to own the outcome for everyone. Boy, is that does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. we would like to use the sword to control the outcome. Especially if you have a little control in you. And you have like a 15-year-old <laughs> where you'd really like to control the outcome um, and you're trying to figure out how do I do it with the word, not the sword kind of thing is, is hard. So. I heard a joke once about someone was going to write a book, Teenagers and Free Agency and How to Enforce It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that works. Okay. Well, well, brothers and sisters, I think this is, there's so much here. There's so much richness in this. Uh, and I think this is really, in some ways, the core of so much of what the Book of Mormon is trying to provide, which is give us that sense of God's incredible mercy. And the fact that if we will simply prepare, He will plant in us the word of mercy and the idea of love. Uh, we just need to not cast it out. So I pray we can do that, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Wendy, we got a closing prayer. And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.